Sunday, January the 9th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. One of the um, things that uh, feels really important, significant, is the coinciding of the Daniel Fast and our sanctuary uh, refurb. It's our hope and intention that we can use the fast uh, in part, particularly to pray in this space and to pray for this space uh, that has been and is and will be so significant to us. Many times, in all kinds of different ways, we've met God here and this place matters to us. And uh, it seems no coincidence that we would be uh, refurbishing it just as we're in the middle of the Daniel fast. So obviously, we have important services over the next few weeks. Chris Sheldrake's funeral uh, is on a week tomorrow at 10.30 here in church. And then the same week, so a week Thursday, Ray Deeks' funeral uh, will be here at 12 noon. Uh, and then after that, maybe at the beginning of the next week, we will start uh, on the refurbishment. And just like in your home, it won't all be done and dusted in a day or so. It will be a bit uh, challenging for a while. But I'm trusting that the challenging times are the times when we kind of learn and grow together and we find God in the muddle and in the mess, as well as when things are all neat and, uh, neat and tidy. So uh, we'll, we'll, once we've got some actual detail about that, we'll uh, let you know through a Sam update the exact uh, plans. But that's kind of where we're heading, and it feels uh, significant to me. And that's why I'm delighted that the early morning prayer meetings are A, back in person, and B, for the last two weeks, will be in this space. That's a, a, a deliberate uh, plan on our part and theirs that we might uh, commit this space to God in a new and uh, a fresh way. And um, it's quite cold in here this morning, which is a reminder to why we're doing the heating. And uh, maybe that's an encouragement if you haven't got involved in the refurb plan just yet to think about it today as you're a little colder than you'd want to be. Burlington.church forward slash refurb and everything that you need is there. Okay, give up, take up, join up. It's uh, been great over the last couple of days, maybe the last week or so on social media and other conversations to hear what people are doing over these next three weeks. And uh, people are being quite creative in the things that perhaps they're giving up or creative in the things that they're taking up and joining up with. I would encourage you to engage in conversations with other people about what they are doing with for the Daniel Fast. There's no judgment or condemnation or pressure, but sometimes just being asked what you're doing is a real encouragement. And I know that hearing what other people are doing can be a really in, a real encouragement to the to the rest of us. We we want to capture that sense that we're in it uh, together. And so make it your, uh, make it a point, make it your intention to ask people what they're doing over these next three weeks and invite them to ask you uh, the same. 
In John 15 that we just had read, it's part of a whole series of uh, conversations that Jesus had with his disciples on the night before he was arrested, uh, on the night that he was arrested actually, uh, and then uh, the day before he, he died. And uh, some years ago now, we did a whole series in this discourse of conversations uh, called Last Words final meal, or it might have been final meal, last words. My memory is not what it was. But, but, but recognizing that, you know, if you know, if you know you've only got a finite period of time, if you've known you've only got so many words, you're kind of careful about the words that you say. You kind of bring to the fore that which is most urgent, most important, what you think will matter uh, most. And these verses come into that category. As Jesus was about to leave the disciples, um, and we get a couple of verily, verily, truly, trulys, which is a kind of, for goodness sake, don't forget this, make sure you listen to this, uh, and so on and so forth uh, in these passages. So John chapter 15 is part of this discourse, which is talking to the disciples about what it will mean for them to live this life of faith after Jesus has gone. What will it mean to be the church? What will it mean to be a Christian? What will it mean to be part of his kingdom? And let's dive straight in at verse 5, where we see that there's an expectation of fruitfulness. An expectation of fruitfulness. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The grapevine or vineyard image or metaphor is an important one. I don't know whether uh, what your association is with, uh, with vineyards, but they're often places of, of quite great beauty, probably because they usually need to be somewhere hot and warm and uh, sunny, although English wine, I'm told, is on the uh, rise. But it's not the beauty of the place in the end that matters for the success or for the longevity of the vineyard. Unless the vineyard produces fruit, even more, unless the vineyard produces the right kind of fruit, then the vineyard will wither, perish and die. So there is this expectation by using this metaphor of the vineyard, that we, as individuals, as communities, as a whole family, as a church, will bear fruit. Otherwise, we will wither and die. Fruit is both necessary and expected. And not only is it necessary and expected, it's also the way that we demonstrate, the mark that we show that we are uh, his Disciples, we are his disciples. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Ultimately, this is not a demonstration that we are his disciples. Even the songs that we've sung already, they're not a demonstration that we're his disciples. The demonstration that we are his disciples is the fruit that we bear in our lives. So what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. See if the person next to you has an answer. Go.
I guess what whatever we've started to say, whatever we've tried to articulate or put words to, I guess the fruit at its core is to be like Jesus. And maybe you've expressed that in different ways in your conversation, because that, of course, was the goal of every disciple. When Jesus said to those disciples in first century Palestine, as a Jew, mimicking the relationship of disciple and rabbi, when Jesus said to those first disciples, come follow me, Jesus was saying two things. He was saying, number one, I believe that you can do the things that I am doing. And number two, I believe that you can become like me. That's why every every Jewish boy, and it was boys in that context, wanted to become a rabbi. Because it meant that the, the, the rabbi had put his faith in them to be like them. So when Jesus has come follow me, he's not saying, let's have a good time, let's go on an adventure, let's go on a journey, however exciting that might be. But much deeper, Jesus is saying, I believe and I want you, I'm calling you to be like me and to do the things that I am doing. To be like me and to do the things that I am doing. Jesus chased down in those disciples both character to be like me and competency to do the things that I am doing. If you think about character for a moment, Jesus was always chasing down character, wasn't he? Uh, an argument arose, it says, amongst the disciples, just like it would amongst everybody else. Uh, which one is uh, the greatest? And uh, the argument could have been about anything, but they're, they're struggling with who they are and their identity and all of that stuff. And, uh, and what does Jesus say? It says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, knowing what's in their heart. Character is about what's going on on the inside when no one's looking about our hearts. And Jesus was always chasing down what was going on in the hearts of the disciples, whether there was enough faith, whether there was enough uh, uh, sense of uh, identity, as we find here. Jesus is chasing down character. And he says uh, um, some verses later, another guide, another counselor who will be with you when he talks about the Holy Spirit. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our in our hearts. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and dwell in our heads, although the Holy Spirit instructs us in what we think, but the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the root of our being, something much deeper than just our, our minds in our, in our hearts. Truth is just as much, if not more, about our heart than it is about our heads. And when we've made it just about our heads, we've kind of missed something of what the truth is all uh, about. You see, you can know the truth in your head, but that doesn't mean that it produces good character. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know what you should do. Or do all of you do everything that you know that you should do? In which case, this is my issue, and I'll take it home with me. But it might just be that you've all had moments, like the Apostle Paul who says, flippin' act, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I, that, that I, that I, um, I don't want to do, do you know what? I do those all the time. I know it in my head. I've got the truth in my head. 
but it's something about my heart. Jesus chases down character in our hearts. And he says, doesn't he, that a good man, a good man produces the good stored up in his head? No, in his heart. It's the good in his heart that comes out, that comes to the fore. And I love this verse because of the way Jesus positions it. The good in his heart. Because so often we've produced, um, we've, we position character as a list of don'ts. Don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do the other, and then you will have good character. As if somehow it's a collective of the things that we do not do. And many of you might have grown up in a, a Christian home that was a bit like that. That was uh, uh, something that we needed to, whatever was good about some of the journey that the church has been on over the last 30, 40, 50 years. That was one of the things that we needed to come to terms with, that we don't want to be defined, that our character should not be defined by the things that we don't do. As if it's just a list of negatives. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Character is about the good that someone brings out of the good that's stored up in their hearts. Jesus was so busy, wasn't he, to point out to the Pharisees that their list of don'ts didn't produce in them good character. Character is much more positive. The spirit that comes and lives in our hearts and not so much in our heads is the spirit that produces the fruit of love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And then notice what it says, against those things you don't need any rule books. Isn't that interesting? Such a positive way of instead of going, don't do this, rather because you are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, you will lean in to doing what is right what is good, what is wholesome, what is honourable, rather than what isn't. And, and it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to meet someone who's full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. Wouldn't you agree? And, and we would agree that people who are filled with those things will ultimately be the people that will make the difference in our ordinary, everyday lives. They're the people we want to be, And they're the people that we want to be around. The tragedy is that we're not always known for these things. These are the things, Jesus says, going back to John chapter 15 verse 8. These are the things that will show, if you bear fruit, these are the things that will show that you are my disciples. Jesus is chasing down character. And when character is about forming God's good in us. Everything else takes care of itself. But what we tend to do is instead of building good character in us, what we tend to do is create a rule or a list of things that we need to avoid and then we try to avoid them successfully and sometimes not so successfully. It's character. Character, though, leads to action. Character and competency. Jesus called his disciples to be like him and to do what he 
did. And you can't say, I've got a load of love in my heart, unless you're expressing love to your neighbor or to your spouse or to your the person in the office or the, the person at the school gate, whatever it might be. And you can't say, I've got a shed load of gentleness, if you're never gentle with everybody. Good character stored up in our hearts, comes out not just in our words, but in our actions. Character is directly connected to competency, which Jesus also chases down. The whole goal of his three years with those disciples was that they remarkably would be able to carry on what he'd started. That was the whole point. That's why he called them, come follow me, that you might be like me and go on to do what I have done. And we see Jesus doing that, don't we? We see after uh, Jesus spending some time with the disciples, after a short while, he sends them out, they come back, they talk about it, sends them out again, they come back, they talk about it. They tried to pray for a a boy with a a demon that was causing an epileptic, and they couldn't drive the demon out, and they go to Jesus privately, we don't know how we can do this, help us learn to do this. And then Jesus tells a story, and they don't understand the story, and they say to him privately, tell us the story so that we can understand. All the while, Jesus is teaching and training them what? To be like him, to do the things that he is doing. And so he would say, in these verses, in this discourse before he died, verily, or very truly, or verily, verily, I think it was in the King James. Was it verily, verily? Verily, verily. It means, for goodness sake, listen up. Whatever else you're thinking about, clock onto this one. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. What were Jesus' works? See if the person next to you has got an answer. What is it that you're thinking about? Was it about the way that Jesus prayed or the way that he loved the poor or the way that he was uh, wildly inclusive across the social and economic structures of the day? Was it the way that he challenged the religious authorities? Was it the way that he taught with power? Was it the way that he healed the sick or cast out the demons? What was it that caught your attention about what Jesus did? Now this is an example, I think, of sometimes where we get truth and it gets stuck in our heads. Because most of the conversations about these verses... Uh, is, is often about truth being stuck in our heads because we have this uh, kind of dilemma. What did Jesus mean by even greater things? And we get into this kind of intellectual or theological conversation. I'm not saying that conversation isn't important. It really is. But truth then gets locked in our heads. Uh, the truth in our hearts is that we know we should be doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. And we need that formation, that competency in our hearts. And not just leaving truth that gets stuck in our heads in a kind of intellectual exercise. I'm sure the greater things will take care of themselves if we start doing the first things that he did. I'm okay to leave the greater things for a while. And I'll settle for the things that Jesus did. Who's, who's with me for a while? We might get really bored of the things that Jesus did. Oh, we're only doing the things that Jesus did. And when we're done with that, then we'll move on. But let's not get distracted from the sense that truth is not an intellectual ascent. Truth is to be lived out. 
And, and all this wonderful, wonderful verses about the word and it making you clean that we'll come to in a minute. It's about this, this dynamism of the word that's in us that comes alive through um, experience. And I'm rushing ahead. We all want, though, don't we, to produce fruit. We all want a life that we know has purpose and significance. We don't like the thought of our lives not having, because we were made for significance and purpose, our lives not having that significance. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And we might find ourselves saying, especially around this time of year with New Year's resolutions, this is the life, you know, Simon, that I'm striving for. This is the life that I'm striving for. In fact, you wouldn't believe how hard I'm working to achieve this life. And that's both the point and the problem and all that Jesus is trying to debunk here. We do not get this life by striving. That's a relief, isn't it? You cannot strive your way into a more godly life. I will try harder tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow you'll succeed, but usually I will try harder tomorrow ends in the same failure of yesterday. We all know that. We all have that experience of, of I'm going I'm to put more effort into it tomorrow. In the hope that somehow what's in me will be enough. If I strive for it, then I will get it. And maybe for a season we manage to strive for something. Are you with me? We've all had seasons when we felt pretty good because we know we've done something consistently, perhaps for a while and irregularly. But usually, even that striving after a while, then it slips away. Have any of you done something consistently for a while and then seen it slip away? Anyone, or is that just me again? Two, three, four, five, six of you. Thank you for the solidarity. But that sense in which we might be able to do it for a season, but we're absolutely exhausted doing it. And Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life, and we're barely getting through the day with all this effort that it's taking, all of this striving. Our heads being aligned is not a Enough. Maybe this is really good news. This is not for you to talk to the person next to you. This is for you to talk to the uh, person in your head, so to speak. Talk to yourself. Is there an area where you're exhausted from striving? Fed up with it. That you're done with it. You're exhausted with striving. And in fact, you're exhausted with failing. And just going around that same loop. Is there just, just now, in this moment, would the Holy Spirit highlight, illuminate an area in our lives where we're just done with striving. And we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that because it feels just the same as that thing I'm struggling to do and failing at already. What would the Holy Spirit, where would the Holy Spirit take you in your mind's eye, in your heart in this moment? Jesus' invitation is not a life of striving, but of abiding. That's the invitation. We're invited to abide. Invited to remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. It's like a command. Remain. R- remain. If you would like to, why don't you consider remaining in me? It's not like that. 
Jesus is about to leave. He said, remain in me. Whatever else, remain in me as I also remain in you. Whatever else, make sure you do this. Otherwise, we'll just flip back to being like the Pharisees. That's all about, if only you try a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder, it'll all be well. And we'll be back round the same loop all over again. So we're invited to abide. And we know that without abiding, we'll bear no fruit. So abiding is suddenly not a nice little extra. Abiding is the, the way into this life of significance and, and purpose. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The first back act, uh, aspect then of abiding is this. What we've put there is, is connectivity. Abiding is to, to be connected to Jesus. We need to be in Jesus, close to Jesus, with Jesus. If you want to have a different level of character, if you want to become more competent in his ways, then don't try harder. Spend more time with Jesus. That's the invitation of these verses. And this first aspect of abiding, of connectivity, is about the invitation to always be near to him. So what helps you get close to Jesus? What helps you get close to Jesus? Why don't you tell the person next to you what helps you? If you're not sure, that's fine. But what someone says to you now might be worth a thousand of my words because it might be just the way that would help you get close to Jesus. Just for a second, go. There are kind of two components, two components that help us get close uh, to Jesus, that get reflected, I think, in whatever example that we, that we might have, have shared one with uh, another. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is reminding those disciples that being in his word and allowing the experience of his Holy Spirit to be at work in their lives is the, the dual necessity to be close to Jesus. Word and Spirit. It's no accident, is it, that the Spirit came uh, on the day of Pentecost, which was the celebration of the Word of God. Say, so when you connect with God, however you do, maybe you said, do you know what, I connect with God, um, I connect with God through running. You know, when I'm running, I'm not saying about me, but you might say, when I connect with God, uh, I do that through running. So I love to run, like Eric Liddell would say, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Remember uh, Chariots of Fire fame. Well, whatever you were saying, when I, for me, when I walk, when I, whatever it might be, I feel close to God, that will do two things. It will produce an eagerness for you to be in his word, and it will produce a reality, an experience of his presence that you wouldn't otherwise have. All presence and no word takes us down a blind alley. All word and no presence takes us down another blind alley. And Jesus says, you need to connect with me. It's about word and spirit. It's not just word that we remain in, but it's also his 
presence. Which is why I love this verse, tucked away at verse 9, that doesn't get a lot of airspace. Now remain in my love. Now, beautiful thing? Because when you read, now remain in my word, what you think probably is what that means. I have to read more and more of the Bible and I don't always understand it. And I find it really difficult and really hard. And, and, and we're back to that striving place. Here is an invitation to remain in his love. How cool is that? You don't need to do anything. Remain in his love. Be in his presence. Be conscious of him. Find ways to breathe his presence in through the day. Find ways, rhythms before a meal, after a meal, when you're cleaning the teeth, when you're getting up, when you're going to bed, when you're in the car going to work, when you're on your lunch break, when you've just put the phone down on a client, when you've just opened the door, whatever it is, breathe in the presence of Jesus. Be in his word. And know his presence. Abiding. Abiding. Abiding has this idea of connectivity and this idea of consistency. Of consistency. We need to have rhythms that we can sustain ourselves in. And perhaps we'll get into that next time. An invitation then today. Just now as we come to communion, to remain, to stay, to linger, to be immovable. Be immovable, or is it unmovable? Immovable and unmovable, the same thing? Anybody know? Anybody care? I don't know. But you know what I mean? Be unmovable, or immovable with Jesus and you'll bear much fruit. So these three weeks, what does it mean to just to remain, to be immovable in him, in his presence, in his word? And it's, a, it's, a, it's not a vicious circle, it's a positive circle. If you're in his presence, you'll be in his word. And if you're in his word, you'll be in his presence. And if you're in his presence, you'll be in his Word. So do whatever you do to get you close to Jesus and it will draw you into this, this, uh, this vortex of word and spirit that takes you deeper into God's purpose and takes you deeper into that place of bearing fruit. And do you know what? The fruit just starts to grow because we're no longer striving but choosing to abide.